Dr. Rice is a communications specialist who's working here at the Village Church. He has his doctoral degree in crisis communications from the University of Kentucky. And this afternoon, I'm gonna ask him to be as tight with his presentation as he can be, because we still have one more after that, which you will not want to miss. Pastor James Ash has dealt with this issue up front, close and personal, both in his community and in his local college. So this afternoon with these final two presentations, I trust you will be exceptionally blessed. And now Dr. Rice, the time is yours. So there are psychological samurais that exist among us. And this is an actual tool that's used in our army. There is a division of the U.S. Army called PSYOPs. PSYOPs is psychological operations. And their job is to strategically influence and deceive. Now, how did I first start learning about the power of the U.S. government to influence people's decisions? Well, I studied risk and crisis communication. I took a disaster communication class, and my teacher said, read this. What's the history of disaster communication? Well, the history of disaster communication is that the U.S. government wanted to understand how to control the masses in the event of a nuclear event. And because they couldn't study nuclear bombs and people at the same time, they started studying natural disasters to understand how to control people. Now that could be used for good or it could be used for bad. And throughout this presentation, I'm not going to ascribe malintent to everyone who has created bad messages. In fact, some of the people who use propaganda are under the belief that the end justifies the means. Now we as Christians, or at least this group of Christians, should know a little better in that God doesn't manipulate. God gives a straight answer. But what do they do in psychological operations? It's a little different. Here is the little pin that you wear if you're in psychological operations. What's it say? It says persuade, change, and influence. Now we're gonna study that pin for just a second so you can get a better idea of exactly how good these people are at what they do and the designs of what they do. Silver, gray, white, and black represent the three types of psychological operations. White represents the overt processes. This is the stuff you can see. Black is for the covert. Covert is kind of hidden. And then it says gray is for the hidden. I'd like to know what the gray actually is. If they have outside, hidden, and then even more hidden. But these are the strategies they use. Um, all right, so what, what do they mean more? The chess knight represents the ability to act obliquely and influence all types of warfare. The lightning, now by the way, oblique. When you play chess, or if you ever play chess or you know what the moves do, most things go straight. The knight does not go straight. It comes around at a curve. All right, so that's why they use the knight as the symbol of what they do. A lightning bolt uh, sword denotes speed and ability to strike anywhere. Again, oblique means obscure or confusing, not in a straight line or indirect. Uh, and it could also mean devious or underhanded. So let's continue. 
The key missions of this outfit in the U.S. Army are to influence with information and to deliberately deceive. Military deception missions use psychological warfare to deliberately mislead enemy forces during a combat situation. Again, I'm not describing whether or not that's good or bad. I'm just letting you know what is being done and what their mission is. Their mission is to change minds and behaviors. This is a these are all publics, publicly stated on GoArmy.com, by the way. This is not me finding some odd website to trick, to make some heresy about our army, okay? Thank the Lord for our army and the protections they give us. I'm just awakening you to the strategies they use. We want to make sure that the stuff that's used on us, we understand. All right, so a little bit of history about PSYOPs. This is on their own website. It says... It was founded during World War I to devastate opposing troops' morale. The PSYOP unit has played a critical role in World War II, in Vietnam, and recent operations in Afghanistan and Iraq, where unconventional warfare provided by PSYOP has been crucial to national security. So, but what's the history of propaganda? Let's just give you a quick snippet on propaganda. Propaganda, or... The propaganda of the faith was something done by the Catholic Church to fight against Protestantism. And that's where the term came from. And they got it from the term propagate, which means to create something similar in someone else. Now, it's not necessarily a bad thing to do unless you're doing it through underhanded messages, uh, underhanded ways. And it's older than that, by the way, if you remember the story in 2 Kings chapter 18, the Rabshakeh comes outside. And he starts telling the people on the wall of Jerusalem, don't listen to this guy. No other gods have stopped our army. Your God can't do it. And don't listen to your king either. Okay, that's psychological warfare. And the interesting thing is, I'm not sure that the Rabshakeh actually knew he was lying. Because he probably believed some of that stuff. And some of it was true. But we know in reality, it's not true. And in order to decipher what is true from false, you have only one protection, which is the Word of God. All right, so let's study the Word for a second. It goes back further than the Rabshakeh. It goes back to the Garden of Eden. We have the Father of Lies. God gave, before the first temptations, He gave Adam and Eve His Word to protect them against the lies of the evil one. They knew someone was there. They knew they shouldn't listen to him, and they knew they weren't supposed to go to a particular area. Now, let's just study this temptation for a second, because, well, I'll tell you why in a second. All right, so here you have, now the devil, he's tricked one-third of the angels. It says he swept them out with his tail, and uh, I think it's Isaiah or Jeremiah. It says, the lying prophet is the tail. So, the Bible says we're not unaware of the devil's, messages, uh, devil's methods. And I don't want to study propaganda just so we can understand propaganda. But the Bible records propaganda, just like the Bible records other deviant behaviors. And we're not learning those behaviors. We're learning about them so we can avoid them. So we're not studying how to deceive people. We're actually studying what the Bible says so we are not deceived. All right, so the devil comes along. By the way, that's a snake. There's a book called Influence. I was reading this book called Influence. And it said you can actually get rid of people's phobias of snakes. How do you do such a thing? You can do it through vicarious experience. You can do it in under about three hours, and then they're cured for a lifetime. So here you have 
a few things going on here. I mean, it looks really simple. There's a snake and there's a tree, but it's way more subtle than most people realize. And I'm gonna tell you how I figured some of this stuff out in just a second. You might've already know these things, but I'm just gonna give you a few tips here. By curious experience, there's the snake. Where is he? He's in the tree. That tree's supposed to kill people, but there he is. Eve sees a snake not being killed. It's not a bad thing. So she sees that experience and says, okay, that's not so bad. Then there's something called desensitization. Well, first you see something, you see somebody else handle it. This is how they get rid of snake phobias. You see, watch somebody else, then you handle itself. Eve saw the snake, then she handled it herself. Then you have emotional modeling. Do you think the snake came across and said, I'm very scary and you shouldn't listen to me? No, he was like, hey, this, this is the best thing ever. You gotta try this. I'm sure he had some of that in him when he was telling her that you should take the fruit. So he modeled emotionally what he wanted her to experience to get her to bite the apple. Next one. He showed it was a safe place. And we got to be very careful about how we define a safe place. And then finally, he, uh, a couple of things. He said you can have a higher identity. That's propaganda. It was a lie saying your identity is not accurate. The one who told you that's a liar. There's something in propaganda uh, specifically and the uh, gay community called jamming where they want to replace your emotions about how you feel about homosexuality with another emotion. And they do that by association. And what is association? Well, here's one example of that. You have a snake. He's in a tree. The tree's supposed to kill you, but here's a snake and the snake can talk. He's associated an evil tree with this snake that has super extraordinary capacities. So all of these things come together to create a very powerful deception for Eve. Now, how did I come to the conclusion that some of these things are so? By studying propaganda used in the LGBTQ literature. Um, all right, so, but what else is the best way to see these things? It's the great detector of error. What is the great detector of error? It's the word. And we need that word. Why? That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Have you ever heard a message that was really, really persuasive? How long do you, I mean, I've, watch something online, there's an info page, and you scroll forever, and then you get to oh, click here if you want this. All right, how long do you think it took them to craft that? Samurai sword, which is very sharp and can cut through lots of things, that some people say it takes six months, it takes a year, 18 months to sharpen that sword. And you have people that have for years sharpened their ability to cut through things and enter your mind. And they actually admit that they're doing it in a manipulative way, but that's okay for them because the end justifies the means. But we wanna be aware of these things. All right, next slide. Uh, okay, we don't wanna to be tossed to and fro. This, this I say therefore, the testif uh, and testify of the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of our hearts, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all in cleanliness with greediness. What is the solution to 
not being deceived, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, we don't want to be the truth not in Jesus because, you know, see those signs that says, oh, God hates these people and he lasts when they die? You know, that's actually a type of propaganda as well. But we don't want to come across that way. And we don't want to have that spirit when we're telling people that God can change you. All right, so if you don't believe that's propaganda, I'm going to come back to that in a little bit. All right, again, we need to look at the bigger identity instead of just focusing on a micro-identity. Remind people in these things that they're a perfect race who had perfect communion with God. The snake messed with identities. He said, you can be like God. Humans fell, were cast out of the garden, became enemies of God. God died while we were still sinners. He took our identity as sinners. That's good news. I think anyone who was struggling with their identity would love to know there's a God in heaven who has been tempted every way we are, yet was without sin, and he's able to help you when you are tempted. So that we can become children of God, a holy priesthood, and have the mind of Christ. These are important discussions. So that way we could put on immortality, live in the New Jerusalem, and have perfect communion with God once again. This was all interrupted by words. Now, we're going to talk about this little process of redefining and rewiring, and I'm going to give you some media examples of how this is happening. And again, most people have no clue that there's anything behind all of this. All right, first of all, we need to establish the importance of words. There's something called symbolic interactionism, and they teach you this in communication. That is, your sense of identity, who you are, how you think about things, how you communicate, it's all developed through symbols in your interaction. It's basically how your parents raised you, how they spoke to you. That is how you're going to think. That's what you're going to believe. Now, people can take this too far. They'll say that everything, well, they'll, they'll take morality out of the issue. Basically, if you were conditioned in a certain way, they'll say, well, that's okay because that's what you believe. And they'll, they'll create new definitions for things. So part of my research, I had to read about polyamorous relationships. And they said, if you're in a romantic relationship with many people and you feel jealous, we're going to call that word wobbly. And you no longer have to worry about jealousy. Just, it's just wobbly. It's not a big deal. And that's to desensitize you to the morality that God instilled in you and the feelings that God put in you to recreate you into another image. All right, so the rewriting, scholarly literature, dictionaries, encyclopedias, and history, and those changing mind tactics are being used. How are they being used? Here's one that leaked out into the public. All right, so Jesse Smollett, you remember him? He wanted to be a hero. He was an actor, very famous, doing very well, starting to get some into some trouble, maybe not being so popular. So he staged a fake beating. And that fake beating included, uh, I think someone put a noose around his neck and beat him up and ran out of the way. So what happened with that story? And how do they figure this out? Uh, first, how wide was this spread? The, influence, the influencer ecosystem, by the way, people know this and this is why they do it. 
The influencer ecosystem was able to amplify this fake story to millions and millions of people across the globe. Then follow down. This is, this is important, okay? It says victim status has become the pinnacle of moral authority. People know this and they use it to their advantage. It's not surprising to me that people are treating themselves as victims specifically or members of a victim class. Now people figure this out because uh, the police said, hey, something's going on with these interviews. They watched the news reports and said, this guy, he's not consistent. And so then they went and interviewed and they found, okay, he paid these people several thousand dollars to come beat him up, beat him up. And so they figured it out and he started giving interviews. Here's just one of his interviews. And it's, he said this, he said um, on Good Morning America, he was very emotional. And he said, I just want young people, young members of the LGBTQ community, young black children to know how strong that they are. He said, I want them to see that I fought back. I want a little gay boy to see that I fought back. They ran off. I didn't. I have fought for love. I am an advocate. Except it was an all, all an act. While many pundits in the public at large were beginning to be skeptical of him after his interview, many of them focused on the tears and physical theatrics of it rather than what he was actually saying. It became clear to me that the doomed actor was trying to rewrite the narrative of his own hoax to fill a societal void for black queer men. That's the author of the article. So someone, and I think they're very sympathetic to this, this movement themselves. If you go on, it says, I'm disappointed of what could, could have been. You know, he could have been represented more, except he messed it up and he messed it up for everyone else. So this, these people actually like, are part of the gay community, support of the gay community, and they don't realize that what he was using was actually part of the playbook to get this accepted by everyone else. This is how deceived people are. And only a few people, I would say, anyways, let's keep going. <laughs> we have a lot of interesting things here. I'm starting to press the wrong button. All right. Uh, so now we're going to look at framing because you can see that they're clearly trying to frame things. So just a few days ago, Kim Davis was ordered to pay $100,000 because she didn't want to marry them or serve them their papers or whatever it was. Listen to how the lawyers fighting the case frame the issue. Uh, it says this case isn't really about Davis's religion. It's not. The case isn't really about this, our client's right to marry. The case is about a government official that just refused to do her job. It's a pretty simple case. It's called framing. This is clearly trying to take the topic away from religion and morality. It pointed to someone just being lazy and not wanting to work. And then again, it's talking about their constitutional rights were broken. And again, it says their rights were violated too. I find it shocking that a jury would award zero dollars for violation of their constitutional rights. So this is actually part of the playbook that's published on how to get people's, on how to frame this issue so people accept it. And if you don't believe me, I'll give you some very detailed information in just a minute. This presentation goes from bad to worse than to really good. So. All right, now, on the issue of gay marriage, there, I'm gonna point out some conflicting information. Just because when you listen to messages, you need to be aware of these things to clue you in to that there's error. 
And I praise the Lord that the more liar lies, the easier it is to catch them. And I don't say that with malintent because I think a lot of people, again, repeat lies. They don't even know they're repeating. They just heard it somewhere. So this is not me saying, oh, oh all these terrible people. Not at all. I'm very welcoming to people who are gay. I went to school with gay people. Anyways, all right, but gay marriage. Think about this for a second. People want to get married, or they claim they do. However, this is actually confusing the gays themselves. I was listening to an interview. I don't know if I should say who it was. Okay, I'm just gonna say, there's a very prominent gay person on network television. That's a very, very popular show. And they interviewed someone and they said, hey, what do you think about gay marriage? Now they asked someone who is older than them from the old gay community. And this older gay said, I guess I support it because people want it. However, I don't get it. Two of the most restrictive things in the world are the military and marriage. That was an old gay speaking to a new gay. All right, so, and you need to know that because you know the narrative changes, then something is up. And that's why I say that, not because people believe different things. Not at all. Uh, and I'm, I'm sympathetic to people who have been fed the wrong information. I've been fed the wrong information. We've all been fed the wrong information somewhere, so we need something to sweep up the errors. And I'm going to turn to the book of Matthew really quick. All right, Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 to 45. And this is a very important verse for us because it talks about a new heart and how you get a new heart. Verse 43 says, When an unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and finding none. Then he saith, I will return unto my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then he goeth and he taketh with himself seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first, even so shall it be unto this wicked generation. Now, quick question. What's the tool to sweep the house? Or the broom. Now, if someone comes along and says that house is not dirty. What'd they do to the broom? You don't even need it. They're taking the broom out of the picture. They're saying you don't have to even start the process. So it's very important that we have right definitions of what is right and what is wrong. And we don't do that to people. It's a terrible trap to put somebody in. And how are they doing that? They're actually doing that right now. They're taking away the broom. Michigan lawmakers passed a ban on conversion therapy. You've already heard about some of this. I'm not going to go into it. But what's that create? Creates a one-way street where a U-turn is illegal. Now, what does that mean? By the way, I just want to say something about this uh, one-way street. I've taught at several academic institutions, and when I started teaching at one, I got an email, and there was an invitation. It says, hey, it was from the Gay Straight Alliance, and they said, hey, we're sending you an invitation. We're going to do a different thing every day. And on one particular day, we're going to invite you to bend your gender. Now, I have a question. 
if a gay-straight alliance can invite you to bend your gender. All right, so how does this interrupt salvation? The Bible says faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by what? All right, so part of this presentation is how the lies of the devil and this movement interrupt the process or the science of salvation for people struggling with this issue. It's not fair to treat one sin different from the other. One of the best things I ever heard was from Ron Wolsey in a conversation before these meetings. He said, how do you treat sin? Or how do you treat homosexuality? Like any other sin. And if people can get that into their minds that the devil's trying to confuse everyone and make it more complicated than it actually is. And if we can understand the true nature of sin, what it is, if it's good or bad, then it helps us out. Now, if you take away the guardrails, you see a little guardrail on this trail, what happens? Okay, you got a slide. You wonder how Sodom became the way it did. Anybody wondered, like, how did it get there? Because it says the whole city, from the old to the young. Now, if you remove the speed limit by saying, all right, there's no trouble here. If you remove the safety barriers, if you say the police can't touch you, the police don't touch that issue, and you pull out the U-turn signs in one direction, so there's only another direction, where does that accelerate you to? It gives you one option, and I would say that option ends in Sodom and Gomorrah, and that we should be very careful about putting ourselves in that trajectory. Now, where did I learn first about propaganda? I learned right at Andrews University. I took a class, and we had a book called Communicating with Credibility and Confidence. And it said, hey, there's Puerto Rico. It got taken over by the United States of America. And, but how's it going to get American ideals? And you had the, uh, there was a, an American person in the whatever educational division of government, and they said, we're going to be in charge of the schools. Don't worry about that. And you can very easily return someone's identity by what you teach them in public school. So that's important to know. Now, where else can you influence? By the way, that same book also said that the United States of America was one of the major four propaganda producers in the world. So it's, we don't like to think that, oh, it could be propaganda, it could not be, but we do it to ourselves sometimes. And again, you heard my background in communication and one of my teachers came and said, here's something from the CDC. This was in 2017. The CDC has a playbook on a crisis coming up in the United States of America. It happens to be a viral illness. And it had two years of communication dilemmas that would happen in the public. And she said, you can read this, but give it back to me. So I read that in 2017. So if you think this stuff isn't used by governments, Keep thinking. All right, so where do LGBTQ people learn their information from? Just as the world builds their perceptions from the LGBTQ community, from the media, the LGBTQ people also learn our own identities from media. This was said by a gay actor. So again, gay people learn about who they are and what they believe and whether or not they can change or not from the media as well. Most of them do not know. And I'm gonna show you some some of a study down here. It says, look at the bottom small print. It says, I'll read it to you, LGBTQ people make up about 4.5% of the US population, but 6.7% of recurring TV characters. 
So they're actually overrepresented when this came out, it was a few years ago. So what's, what is the result of media on people's influence, uh, on people's perceptions? Uh, by the way, okay, one other tip before we go there, how to market to homosexuals. This is the Journal of Advertising. They did a meta-analysis and said, what's the effective way to market to these people? And look at the middle quote, it says, the findings show that the congruence between lifestyle and consumption-related stereotypes, that means they actually have this lifestyle, and what other people think about them match somewhat, uh, it results in positive advertising imagery evaluations. So again, if products are hedonic, it's okay to include gays in them because people expect that from gays. This is what the Journal of Advertising says. This is not some, just be aware of these things. People know stereotypes, advertisers know them, but they also know when there's some truth to them, and that's what they're saying here. All right, so what's happening with people's perceptions of homosexuality? They are accepting them more and more. I'm going to fly through some of these things. In the United States and area this, of America, this is what's been happening from 94 to 2019. You might be asking yourself, how do these things happen? Coming to that. The acceptance across the globe has been changing. The younger generations are more accepting. How does that happen? Uh, well, I'm not going to describe that, okay? Just so you know, there's a huge difference. And when there's more education, people are more accepting. I'm not going to explain that either, but there's a big difference. And one of those reasons is in higher education, there's about, depending on who you ask, there's a 5 to 1, 9 to 1, or 12 to 1 bias of liberal to conservatives. I mean, that's how it's built. So you send your kid to university, understand what you're up against. Uh, and that is public universities probably, I'm not... I'm not saying anything about evidence in that one. Okay, uh, the people who subscribe to the ideology of the left are more accepting. You should just know that. This is just a matter of fact, according to the research. And then this one is very important. People who see their religion as less important in their daily lives are more accepting of homosexuality, according to their research. Religion is not important, you're more likely to accept it, which should show you something about the importance of the Bible and its application in your home. All right, now how do these shifts take place? I want to give you two incredible documents that you need to be aware of. Number one is a book called After the Ball. And how did I assess the snake's temptation to Eve? I read a little bit about a summary of some of these tactics, okay? That's how I got clarity on how strong temptation it was. All right, so a couple tactics they use desensitization, uh, desensitization, jamming and conversion real quickly. That is, we're going to get you used to gays by showing you lots of gays. We're also going to make them not seem so bad. So they're going to pick gays that look like straights, and we'll use them. And then jamming is says, we're going to take your fear of, they'll call it a hatred or something else. We'll take that hatred and we'll substitute it with something else through the process of association, just like the snake could talk and he was by the tree. What they do is they'll take really crude, rude people, and they'll say, these are the people that don't like gays, and they'll put them on TV, and they'll put them in advertisements. And then they'll take people who are gays, and we want the most morally acceptable people who are most similar to represent everyone else in public, and they'll say, well, we'll put those people in the media so people makes it easier for them to be accepted. Now, you might think I'm making all this stuff up. Read the book. All right, so, I'll give you a few uh, 
telling bits of information from here. All right, some of this, all right, here's a few tips. I'm just gonna fly, I'm just gonna hit a couple highlights. I want you just to see intent because once you understand intent, then it helps you understand whether or not you wanna subscribe to the information. All right, uh, all right, so they're gonna fix the problem of homo hatred. If gays present themselves or allow themselves to be presented as overwhelmingly different and threatening, they will put straights on a triple red alert, driving them to overt acts of political oppression or physical violence. If, however, gays can live alongside straights, visibly but as inoffensively as possible, they will arouse a low-grade alert only, which, through annoy though annoying to straights, will eventually diminish for purely psychological reasons straights will be desensitized. We can extract the following principle from our campaign to desensitize straights to gays and gayness. Inundate them with a continuous flood of gay-related advertising. Presented in the least offensive fashion possible, if straights can shut off the shower, they may at least eventually get used to being wet. This is their terminology. I'm reading word for word. Then something called jamming. As jamming, the name implies insertion into the engine of a pre-existing incompatible emotional response, gridlocking its mechanism as thoroughly as though one had sprinkled fine sand into the workings of an old pocket watch. Now they're referring to your brain and how you think. They're gonna jam how you think and they're gonna reverse your perceptions through association and, but that's not what they aim for. They actually aim for conversion and they do that through two processes, associative conditioning, we talked about that, and direct emotional modeling, we talked about that. All right, so we mean conversion. Now, what do they mean by conversion? This is one of their processes. We mean conversion of the average American's emotions, minds, and will through a planned psychological attack in the form of propaganda fed to the nation via the media. We mean subverting the mechanism of prejudice to our own ends, using the very process that made America hate us to turn their hatred into warm regard, whether they like it or not. And they even say, people are going to perceive us as the fairy godmother. That's how uh, effective they think it is. And then uh, one more, I'll, I'm not gonna go too far into this because we have uh, the good news. And there's a lot more that could be said about this, but I think the point's been made. And if it's not, let me end on this. The objection will be raised and raised again, that we would Uncle Tomify the gay community, that we are exchanging one false stereotype, they know what they're doing, for another equally false, that our ads are lies, that that is not how all gays actually look, that gays know it. And that haters know it. They continue to use that word, that's not the word they use. And they said, yes, of course, we know it too, but it makes no difference that the ads are lies. Not to us, because we're using them to ethically good effect. All right, to counter negative stereotypes that are every bit as much lies and far more wicked ones. And they said the ads will have their effect on them whether they believe it or not. Why? Because they're circuiting thinking. They're using association, which is what your parents do. You see your parents act a certain way, you're going to learn that's the way to act. And so that's what they do. They model new behaviors, and from those behaviors, if, if they see someone on a movie and uh, someone in the movie says something bad about a gay, 
And then the people are like, you are such a hater. And the people portray this image of, you're not very nice. You will assume the emotion that's being modeled and say, I shouldn't say that about them because this is how other people are going to treat me. And you don't have to think about it. That's how good they are. Now, how do you detect such things? You have to have the word. And uh, one last little strategy that is something called jamming. Has anyone ever heard of uh, zapping? It's uh, basically a pioneered hit-and-run tactic known as zap action. You know, you know their methods, but basically they say some people, oh, here, all right, I'm just going to read one sentence from this article. This is from Smithsonian, all right? It says, simply threatening to zap a person of authority often resulted in victory. Now, zapping is when they come in, they overwhelm a person, and they basically publicly humiliate them over and over and over. They can even do it for two years until someone will change their mind. It's all in that article. So these are strategies they used. Now we need to come to something better. I'm going to skip what the United Nations says. They basically say you can't change orientation. And that information is not dangerous. All right. So back to the science of salvation. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. We begin starting out self and sin. And we need to change our minds. The volumes of our thoughts as we go through the process of sanctification will get less and less about self and more and more about others in service. And we don't want that short-circuited by thinking that one of those things that's supposed to be transformed is actually okay. It's a sad thing. Eventually, we are going to have the mind of Christ. We go from enmity to unity. And that process is through His Word. Can you use your affections as a guide for morality? What question? Romans 12.9 says, hate what is evil and cleave to which is good. Now, a lot of people love lots of things. You love your wife. Well, the same word that's used in Ecclesiastes 9.9 is used about loving violence, loving evil, loving devouring words, loving cursing, loving transgression, or loving purity, loving wisdom, loving the law, testimonies and precepts, or loving righteousness. So just because you have an affection that wells up inside of you doesn't mean that that affection or feeling is proper. And the Word of God is what decides whether or not you should focus your mind in that direction or not. Can you rule your affections? Here's the next question in Genesis 4, 5 to 7. Cain had something well up inside of him because God didn't accept his, his sacrifice. He said, Cain, why are you wroth? And why is your countenance fallen to him? If you do well, shall you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire. Slow down for a second. Thou shalt rule over him. Can you rule your desires? This is the book of Genesis. God wants us to know early. He put that front in the Bible to know that we have a choice. We need to make the right options. So we can't just fall into something. Okay, next. How long does it take to change a desire? Because desire has to be possible, and you should be able to change it if you're ever going to help someone else. A couple case studies. King Solomon, he had 400 wives, 300 concubines. He had lots of affection for them, didn't he? He desired many strange foreign women. All right, but what did they do? Turned away his heart. He wrote a book, and he said, all is vanity. And then he said, what really matters is the commandments of God. It took him a long time to figure that out. 
Uh, and by the way, if you're like, oh, I'm going to be lonely all my life, Solomon was not lonely, and he said the commandments are better. All right. So let's keep this in mind. Careful what you fall for. Amnon fell in love with Tamar. Now, let's, how fast did it take him to change his emotions? All right, so if you go read that story, I'm just going to summarize it. He uh, tricked her, forced her, and then it says he hated her or despised her more or less than how much he loved her. More. The hatred was more than his love for her. Affections can change like that. Now, it doesn't mean all of them will or an orientation will, but they can change, and they can change very quickly or slowly. Nebuchadnezzar took him seven years. He had to eat grass, but his heart changed. He went from proud to humble. That's a heart issue. And by the way, pride is a vile affection to God, just like, according to the book of Romans, homosexuality is a vile affection. So we shouldn't call it a natural affection if God says it's a vile affection or it's a part of a reprobate mind. Uh, one last case study. By the way, I know this is supposed to be a sexual topic, but people say it's hard to change your sexuality, but the Bible says it's hard to tame the tongue. It's like a beast. It's like a little fire that changes. Nobody can tame it. However, when Paul met Christ, he was in the process of breathing threats and murder and going to kill everyone he could or put them in jail. Men, women, and children, not just in Jerusalem, to foreign places, breathing threats and murder. He meets Christ, and then he starts preaching the gospel. That's a fast conversion. He was kicking against the goats. He had an intense relationship with God. His character was changed. So God is, God is goading a lot of people. But when the wrong message comes along, they keep pushing the goading off. And that's not a safe thing to do. We don't want to do that to people. So, uh, so a little process where you see you covet and take. Okay, we see something. Uh, we're tempted. We see something. Our lust conceives into sin becomes an action. Now, this is one of the most important slides that I want you to be aware of. All right, temptation. You see something. You have a temptation. Then what? You have a conscious choice of something. Now, there's two different reactions you have. There's before Christ and after Christ. The old man, which is the man of flesh, right? Born of flesh, which is not who Christians are, correct? Has a mental action and a physical action. The mental action is being proud, which leads to bragging or whatever. You covet, which leads to steal. You hate, which leads to hurt and destroy, lust, adultery. The new man has a new mental action. He goes to humility, which leads to blessing. He's content and he gives. He loves that leads him to save other people. And then he views people as family and he has pure care for others instead of doing something with them in their minds. Now, this is, by the way, that leads to spiritual death, the old man, Physical death, the new man leads to spiritual life and eternal life. Now here is one of the, this has been alluded to in a couple presentations. To me, this is one of the most frustrating things as a communicator and as a Christian. When people start talking about it's okay to be a homosexual, just don't act on it. Look at this chart again. If you have the old man in the mind, what is your hope for being the new man in your actions? How can you do that to somebody? How can you say, it's okay, just don't act on it. What have you done to them? 
put them on a circuit like this, and then they burn out, and you wonder why people are going crazy. It's enough on that. Again, one more case study. How long does it take to, and this is a bridge to our uh, spiritual conclusions here. How long does it take to change a character? Case study of the 12 disciples. They said, who's the greatest? They were with Christ for three years. They saw him die. Then they were willing to pick up their own crosses. That's one of the biggest clues for helping somebody change from what they want to what God wants is seeing Christ die on the cross for their sins. We're going to come back to the thief on the cross. So transformation tips here. This is very important. Spend more time at the foot of the cross. When you see someone who gave up their own affections and inclinations to take on your identity and die for you, it allows you the opportunity to focus your mind on others because you saw him modeling proper behavior and thinking of others. Spend more time in God's teachings because when you have the vile affections, you don't know whether or not to redirect them somewhere if they're natural. I saw things when I was a young man. I didn't necessarily know that certain thoughts were not good. That gives you the ability to strengthen those inclinations. I'm thankful for my father. My father said, I said, hey, Dad, I got some friends. And they put some posters up on their walls of people that weren't dressed very well. Ladies in particular, in my case. I said, Dad, what do you think about that? He said, I think it encourages masturbation. That one sentence from my father affected my search of spiritual things and is why I am here speaking these things to you right now. Talk to your kids. Focus your mind where God directs. Spend more time doing outreach that lets you think less on yourself and do other things. Get your vertical orientation correct with God and your horizontal orientation will take care of itself. Put your affections on God and crucify when something else comes along and God says, that's not good. It starts rolling up inside of you just like pride comes out of nowhere. When someone says, hey, good job, or you think you did something really well, that, that feeling comes out of nowhere, right? Just like a sexual orientation might come out of nowhere. When you recognize it, you have the ability to fertilize it or kill it. The Bible says die to self. And as you focus on other things, those will get weaker. And thinking about Christ and service to others will get stronger. And I'm going to give you a, I'm going to end on testimony. Ask your question about what is love. God is love. His laws. Look about his love, doing what he wants. Now, quick questions before my final quick summary. Suicide and LGBTQ. I want to talk about that for a second because they say a lot of people do this. And that there's a lot of truth to that and some level, but you need to ask yourself a couple questions, and then I'm going to come back to that one. First, does taking porn away cause suicide? Second, does teaching abstinence cause suicide? Uh, third, does taking away alcohol or drugs cause suicide, and will that, those be valid excuses for you not to help your kid understand what God says and lead them in the right direction? So what causes the trouble? Something called discrimination trauma. But I have a question for you. When you go to a doctor, and the doctor says, I gotta pull that thorn out, and it might hurt a little bit. Is it fair to blame the doctor? Pulling the thorn out, and not take any question to who put that thorn in? It's an important question you need to ask yourselves. So, again, we need to be careful with people, we need to love them, and I'm all for that, absolutely, 100%. You're a gay person, come talk to me, I'm gonna love you. 
but we do make a distinction on whether or not you're baptized or not. And we would love to help, and that's not even what's most important. What's most important is leading you to Christ, who will change you. Uh, one other thing, romantic attraction. There's, uh, I'll pay, you know, people born that way. Well, most people don't develop romantic attractions until they're like 10 to 12 or something. So you should be really careful when you hear that argument as well. I think it's getting earlier with the media, but just be aware of these things. Think about these things when people bring these discussions up to you. This is one of the most dangerous cookies in the world. He's called the gender bread cookie, all right? He's an enemy. If someone talks to you about the gender bread cookie, run the other way, because he's gonna tell you how confused you can become. And, all right. Uh, pride is a double whammy. This is a short circuit to salvation because if you're proud, how likely are you to change? If you're proud of something, you don't see it as sin. Please don't affirm people. Don't let them be proud of it. You're sealing their ability to turn around. And uh, finally, let God recast a new mold in you. All right, so this is just a two-second testimony that I want to end on. I had a lot of different thoughts when I was young. And I can even think of the TV show that started producing those thoughts. I can tell you the volume of those thoughts that increased, not knowing that I shouldn't think a certain way, that a proclivity developed and strengthened because of the media. But I can tell you I met Jesus and he said, whatever's pure and true and noble, meditate on these things. I turned off the media. I started to look at people differently. I realized lust. Well, that's not appropriate. And so when I had feelings, I had to choose, am I gonna foster that or redirect? And so we went on a pastor's retreat recently, I'm a Bible worker, I got invited to go. And we went on a canoe trip and I went down the canoe trip by myself with a canoe. And when you're going on a canoe trip in the summer, that could provide some opportunities. And so if opportunity number one comes up and there's someone who has revealed a lot of themselves. And I have a choice, where am I gonna focus? and I choose to focus another direction and paddle by. Opportunity number two, I wouldn't call it an opportunity, but it is an opportunity. I want to tell you it's a different opportunity. Another woman in a canoe with her husband, different demographics wearing much more, started a conversation, and I was, I was starting to have this uh, fantasy in my mind. How can I connect our conversation to salvation? Started talking. So, where'd you come from? Camp Asabo, it's a youth camp. Oh, it's good. My husband's a teacher, teaches history. How can I connect? How can I connect? I said, oh, you know, uh, we had a conversation. I tried to politely paddle past so they don't think I'm just trying to like preach to them down the river. And I said, oh, by the way, one of the greatest history books is the Bible. It's awesome. It talks about the future and forced worship and all this stuff, and she's like, what's that like? And so I told a little bit about it. When you hear that stuff in the news, think about it. Then I paddled away. And then they showed up at the end, and uh, she said, oh, are you getting in the car and coming back with us? I said, no, someone else is picking me up. She said, oh, it's too bad. You could have given us another history lesson. I said, well, you know what? I've got a book for you to read, and that book is called The Great Controversy. And she said, well, I like reading, and I like controversy. <laughs> and I said, oh. That is great. You're going to love this book. And I could hear her. She went and got in the bus. And 
She said, what was that book we were supposed to read? The Great Controversy, The Great Controversy, The Great Controversy. I'll tell you, God has changed my heart in many ways. He did it through his word. He pruning the synapses of what I used to think about. And now I can fantasize and think about how to save other people. God can do the same thing for you. Don't let anyone tell you your sexuality is your identity because even straight people need to not lust. And you should only have that sexual desire for your wife or husband. God can save you and God can change you. Don't let anyone else trick you otherwise.